0: I read a story once of a of a boy who celebrated who uh, was in a church that celebrated the lord's Supper once a month and on those Sundays they had two offerings and so the regular ministry offering and then they would have an offering for benevolence. sometimes we uh, do that, but every Sunday his mom would give him a, this little boy a little bit of money to put in the offering plate and he'd put it in but one Sunday when they had the Lord's Supper, she not only gave him money for that, but she also gave him a little bit of money to put into the benevolence offering. When the deacons passed the plate, and took it up and he put it in there. So he put his money in for benevolence. And so it was time for the Lord's Supper then. And his mom told the little boy he was unconverted and he could not partake of the Lord's Supper. And his question was, why not? I paid for it. <laughs> well, I think... So many people have a view of salvation kind of like that, don't they? They think, why can't I have all the things of Christ? I, I've earned it. I've paid for it. I've been a pretty good person. I've done as good as anybody else. I'm at least as good as the preacher, which is not a very high bar to hit. And uh, so a lot of people feel that way about salvation. As a matter of fact, that is the default setting in the human heart and mind, that we earn it and God owes it. And it's hard to, well, it's impossible to get people off of that concept until the Lord does something in their heart. The polar opposite of that kind of thinking is grace. And salvation is by grace alone. And anyone who attempts to add to grace, we vehemently reject it. And refute it, because it is by God's grace. Now I want you. Got your Bibles? Now you're going to Ephesians chapter two. We'll look at verses eight, nine, and ten. Just talk about amazing grace this morning. And uh, I want you to take a look at that. And I think um, we've already seen an example of grace already, haven't we? Every time someone is baptized, it's it's God's grace. It's God's grace. And church, I I want to encourage you with something. Sometimes we get enamored with ourselves with the amount of activity that we can produce by our money and our programming and whatever it may be. And we count noses, nickels, and herd people in and out the doors But if we do not see transformed lives, it is pointless. And one thing I'm trying to show you and help you to see is this. A transformed life comes about in a very simple way. One Christian telling a sinner how they can find Jesus. Plain and simple. It is the gospel that is the power, not our programming. It is the gospel that saves. And I want us to learn to depend upon that, believe it, and proclaim it. Tell your family, tell your friends that it is Jesus, Jesus alone, by his grace, that saves sinners. I want you to to rely on that. Don't don't rely on spiritual activity. Sometimes we do things here to give you an easy invite, right? And an easy invite usually sounds like this. Our preacher won't be preaching much, right? So that's how you lure sinners in. But you know what's funny is that um, it's really the opposite. People that are curious about spiritual things want to hear the truth, whether they want to accept it or not. Give them a chance to hear it. here's my invitation to people to church hey come to our church we teach the bible there done i don't hide it i'm not apologizing i'm not gonna tell them how other wonderful things just plain simple that's it if you want to hear the bible this is what we try to do there and so it's interesting what god does in our day is it not well i want us to take a look at grace just a moment and Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, The first, first of all, we are struck with this reality, the provision by grace. Verse 8 begins this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The provision by grace, now here's what grace does, God's grace which is His kindness that is exhibited, manifested to sinners without any merit in them whatsoever no attractiveness at all in the sinner that elicits grace grace is derived completely and totally from the personality of God there's no rhyme or reason to it except God the only reason is God don't ever look at yourself or any other human being and say oh I know God wants to save them it's God's grace. It's not anything in the sinner. His provision, though, notice this provision by grace. It gives us this. It gives us an unstoppable salvation. For by grace you have been saved. I pointed out in verse 5, it's the same wording as we have in verse 8, that the tense of this verb, again, we point this out, it's in the perfect tense, and it means that there is a completed action in the past, and it is unstoppable in the present and future. That's what the tense of the verb means. It's something that has been completely finished in the past, but it has an ongoing and an unstoppable consequence in the present and in the future. Do you understand what that means? You see, if he would just said you are saved by grace through faith, there might be reason to question if you could be unsaved. You were saved, maybe you could be unsaved. It happened at a point in time in the past. But maybe you could lose it in the present or in the future. But that's not what the scripture here says. The scripture here gives us the Holy Spirit of God moved Paul to use this particular verb tense for a reason. It is meant To draw attention to this fact. That Christ has finished your salvation in the past. And it has an ongoing, unstoppable, unchangeable consequence in the present and in the future. That's what it means to be saved. Sometimes people say, well, you know, you you Baptists believe once saved, always saved. Well, no, it's just us Christians that believe that. You you don't got to be Baptist to believe that. You just got to believe the Bible to believe that. We just happen to be people of the book. We take it seriously for a change. This is why we believe it. The scripture says it. Now, also in this particular section here, this particular sentence, um, there's a definite article in it. It doesn't show up in the English translation, but he says, really, for by this grace you've been saved and what grace is he speaking of well if we look back in verse uh in in verse seven of of chapter two and he speaks of that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in christ jesus now the immeasurable riches of his grace that doesn't make any sense really or you can't there's nothing to, to uh, judge that with or, or to have any idea of what he's speaking of unless you go back to verse 1. And verse 1 tells us you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when you get a picture of self, that's true humanity. Right there. You want to know how God views people. That's it. Right there. You say well that's kind of harsh. Well we shouldn't have lived so harshly. Well that's kind of depressing. Well it is depressing. But we should not have indulged in so much debauchery. Now should we? But we are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature sinners. And so this is what makes grace so amazing. Because there's nothing in those five verses about us. Even when we're dead in trespasses, it says He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. There's nothing in us. And so when the kindness of God comes pouring out upon those kind of people, which would be us, then we have to scratch our heads and say, why? Why in the world would God send salvation in His Son to people like that? And the answer is grace. His kindness. His kindness. His kindness that cannot be earned, cannot be manipulated, cannot be drawn out of him, but that is expressed just because he wills to do so. The meaning here of grace, it's in light of our deadness. It's in light of our walking away from God and living according to this world and by nature Being people who deserve wrath. It is clear from this. There's nothing in us that would cause. God to save us. If we could cause it. Just think there's no way that it could be eternal. Or unchanging. But it is by grace. That God did something in the past. Through his son Jesus. Jesus. That has an ongoing and future unchangeable consequence in our lives. That's the unstoppable salvation that grace gives. If your salvation is by works, you're going to waver in and out of that. Some days you're going to feel pretty good about yourself, other days you're going to realize you crashed. Right? Salvation by works is torture, it's torture. Everybody in here, you've tried it. It's awful. It's awful. This salvation by grace is unstoppable. Now look, it's, it's also an attainable salvation. It would be one thing if God had just done it and that's it. But also, He's made it available to us because He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Now, salvation by works is not attainable. The Bible tells us, For by the works of the law, no human being, Old Testament or New Testament, will be justified in His sight. Moses was not justified by works. Abraham was not justified by works. Job was not justified by works. Daniel was not justified by works. Isaiah was not justified by works. The Bible is clear. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Get that in your mind. There is no way to do it. How do you get it then? Through faith. Faith is not doing something. Faith means stopping from doing anything. Faith is resting. If I go and and, and get this chair and I, I take this chair and I sit down in it, you wouldn't say, Boy, he's doing, he's doing some heavy work there. I'm resting on that chair. All of my weight is on that chair. I'm trusting completely in that chair to hold me up. All of my confidence is in that chair. And faith does the same. Faith rests in God. It rests in the promises of God. It puts all of its confidence in what God has said about His Son. Faith stops believing in self. We're taught all of our lives, well, you just got to believe in yourself. If you believe hard enough, you can do it, which is a bunch of baloney. But if you, you, know, you believe hard enough, you know. so we, we're taught that all of our lives. And so what we tell ourselves, if we just try hard enough, we can do it. But faith just says, no, I can't. Faith admits helplessness. Faith rests totally in what Christ has done. Nothing else. And then it becomes the conduit through which salvation flows into the life of a sinner. When that attitude is embraced, then salvation can come into the life. It's the very opposite of works. It's a merely this. It's a grateful, believing, receiving hope. That's what faith is. Someone said there is no self-produced faith either. A sinner cannot conjure up faith in his life. A sinner can't make himself believe. Dead people can't do that. We're dead in trespasses and sins. What do you think that means? It makes us incapable of believing. We don't have the power. If that was within us, then we should get partial credit, right? Right? I mean, we should at least get a 50 on the test. We met God halfway, didn't we? That's what a lot of people believe. That people are just walking around carrying faith in them. And then all we got to do is kind of stir that up and kind of point it in the right direction so they can believe on Jesus. That's just not true. That is simply not true. We're by nature not that. We're by nature children of wrath. We're by nature dead in trespasses and sins. We're by nature following our own desires, the desires of the flesh. That's what we are by nature. By nature, we're not believers. Some people treat evangelism like we're just trying to gather some misguided believers. That's just not true. We're talking to rebels. We're talking to sinners. Because that's what we were. We know how that works. And so this is not a thing where you get faith and kind of work it up in yourself. That is not true. There's no self-produced faith. But faith is the conduit through which salvation flows into the life of a sinner. So the provision by grace, it's an unstoppable salvation, but it's also attainable through faith. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now the preciousness of grace... Look at the cost of it. Look at the value of it. Verse 8 again. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Salvation is first, foremost, and forever God's gift. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. Now, there's some question here perhaps in verse 8 and this is not your own doing and so the word this where does it go does it go back to faith and faith is not your own doing well grammatically as much as I would love for it to go back to faith I, I wish it would go back to that it would prove my point maybe perhaps more pointedly but this really cannot grammatically be attached to the word faith they're two different genders by the way you do have genders in Greek and let's not have any transgenderism or it messes up translation and interpretation of Scripture. Just thought I'd be a smart, Alec. Okay, so this faith. Now, what it's talking about, the word this there in verse 8, is talking about this whole grace derived salvation, all of it, not just one part of it, all of it. But certainly that would include faith. It's all in that whole concept there. So this gracious salvation is not your own doing. From beginning to end, it's not your doing. The one thing that we must settle, every human being must settle in his or her mind is just simply this, salvation is not my doing. I had nothing to do with it. Zero. It's not my work. It's not my will. It's not me. It's all of God. It's God's gift. The gift that's derived, the gift of God, it means the gift that's derived from God. God. Has God ever done anything stingily? Has He ever ever done anything where He went halfway? Has He ever done anything where He was a miser and was afraid to give because His resources might run dry? Let me just let you in on a little insight here. God does not have to keep books. He doesn't have to plan for retirement. His resources are not only immeasurable, they're inexhaustible. And so when we say it is the gift of God, what we are talking about is this kind of grace that is immeasurable in its richness. Nothing in salvation is derived from us. It's gifted by God. Salvation is also for God's glory. He says, "Not a result, verse 9, not a result of works, so that, here's the reason why it's all of grace, so that no one may boast. Now, remember in this letter that Paul's writing to this church at Ephesus, great church, he's writing this letter to them. And there is a pervasive theme in that first chapter. If you look in verse 6 of chapter 1, to the praise of His glorious grace. If you look in verse 12 of that first chapter, in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. If you look in verse 14, and it says this, to the praise of His glory. What is it that is on Paul's heart and mind here that the Holy Spirit is placed there that he must continually say that to people? Here's the problem. People live for their own glory and for their own praise. We have this penchant in us. We have this attitude in us to try to get credit. If you think that's not true, do something at church and nobody brag on you and watch you walk out to the car with your head down murmuring to yourself. Nobody even noticed. After all I do for that church and they treat me like that. Or that you do some great thing to church and now you expect special privileges. Well, after all I've done, they ought to be at least first class there at that church we don't have first-class seating here now some of you on the back row think that's first-class but it's not now don't go out of here all hurt over that I hope we're past that now right so if there's any part of the salvation that we can claim that we've done then we don't have the real salvation that God provides because it has to all be by grace, by, solely by Him. All of His working, every bit of it, from first to last. Everything that has to do with salvation has to be God's work. Or else we get partial credit. And that would not be to the praise of His glory. That would be to the praise of our glory. And any salvation scheme that in any way gives man any credit is not biblical. It's not the real gospel. This impulse in us to resist even a simple gift, have you noticed how we do? It's embarrassing to receive a gift. I remember growing up as a kid, I, I grew up in the Appalachian area, and so you realize it's not Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, there are people, I mean, we, we didn't have a lot. Man, there were people around us that were, I mean, we were poor, but they, they didn't even have poor, they just had po. I mean, they didn't have enough. I mean, they didn't have enough to have all the letters even. And uh, so sometimes, you know, my, my mom and dad, were good Christian folks, and they'd want to do something for somebody. But trying to do something for your neighbor was really hard. You had to find a way not to injure their pride, even though they needed what you had to give. And there's something in us as humans, and even as, as Christians, we do the same. I know Julie and I sometimes, uh, you know, give to people, and we do it anonymously because we know. That if we sign our name to it, that the person would come back to us and say, "I got to give this back to you. I can't take it." What? What is that? And they'll make up something like, "I know you all need it more than we do." And, you know, the, the, you know, all the polite things that we say—that's a carryover from when your ancestors were in Kentucky. But, but really, it's pride. It's just pride. And so it's hard for us to just receive something for no reason just because somebody thought of us and wanted to give us something. Uh, I learned a, a lesson. I think I told you this. Uh, I, I told the two guys on staff I'm getting old enough now where I have permission to repeat myself and uh, and you have to listen. But uh, I remember I was new in ministry. I just surrendered the ministry and I was at my pastor's house. and I was on the front porch there and and uh, I'd been talking to him, I was getting ready to leave, and this guy walks up, and he's looking rough and smelling bad and and uh, just kind of scary, you know. We are living in Florida, and he has a string of fish, you know. And he says to me, Preacher, I, I know you just started, I want to give this to you. And I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I don't need that. I thought, I can go buy my own fish, you know, I got a job, you know. And he goes, no, I, I really want to give it to you. And uh, I said, well, you know, take it home to your family. I don't really need it. He said, no, I want to give it to you. And so I begrudgingly took it. You know, the guy just kind of railed on me. And um, and so I, I took it and said, okay, thank you. And I called him by name. I knew him, and I said, thank you for that. And when he left, and I turned, boy, my preacher was standing there. And I'm like, what? He said, don't you ever treat someone like that again. You... Learn to be gracious, and you learn to not be so prideful that you can't take a gift. I mean, in my heart and mind, I thought you know i'm I'm just trying to help this guy out, but it really wasn't what was going on. I thought I was too good to take a gift from that man now, his son played in the NFL i didn't know that but from the looks of him, I was thinking, man, this guy looks like he's having a tough time, you know, but again, what is it in us that just, we don't, we just like, ah, I don't want to take that from you, we're like that with God, I think it's a good value that we have as Americans, you know, earn your own way, you know, every wash tub sits on its own bottom, right, I mean, you, 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 you do your own thing, and I think that's a good thing. Don't don't expect people to bail you out and stuff like that. You know, I, that, that whole mentality of thinking people owe you and all that. I hate that kind of thing. But at the same time, when someone wants to give you a simple gift, just receive it. Why? Because God has taught us how to receive. He's gracious. He's kind. And so when it comes to salvation, it's so hard, especially for us men. It's hard for us just to say, I'm just going to receive it. I I don't earn it. I I didn't do anything for it. I'm just going to receive it. The heart condition that resists grace that's the problem that we have. But we must come to the end of ourselves. We must embrace the fact that we're hopeless, that we're powerless to save ourselves. When we come to that point, then we're ready to receive the gift of salvation based entirely upon the kindness and grace of Christ. Now listen to me carefully. This is where God starts with a sinner. God always starts with a sinner to bring the sinner to the place that they feel hopeless and powerless to save themselves. We must stop this thing of saying to people, just believe on Jesus. That's not where God starts. God starts with breaking the will and the heart of a person. So they come to the place that they recognize they are hopeless and they are powerless to save themselves. Do not disrupt the work of God by trying to rush somebody to say some prayer that they don't even understand. Let God work. I was talking to a young lady one time at doctor's office and she said you're a preacher aren't you I was wearing a t-shirt today i guess i don't know, yeah and um so uh she said well listen uh i've never read the bible i said okay that's that's good she said i think i might like to try w- where should i start so i said i'll tell you what next time i'm here i'm gonna bring you a bible she said okay so i next time in, i brought her a bible and i said i'm gonna put a bookmark in here where i want you to start reading Okay, Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. I said you'll enjoy this. I said the sentences are short, it's the words of Jesus. She said, "Good, that's what I want to read. What Jesus said." Okay, that's what we got. So I want you to read these chapters, these three, cha- these three chapters. I just want you to read them. Okay, I will. So the next time I saw her, I said, "What do you think about that?" She said, "That was horrible." I said, "What do you mean horrible?" She said, I've never felt so bad. I said, Why do you feel so bad? She said, I I didn't realize I was such a sinner. I said, You're not far from the kingdom of God. You better be careful. I didn't jump in on that. I'm just like, Let that be for a while. Just let her wallow around in that for a while. So, Pastor, Aren't you afraid that if you don't hurry up and win her to Jesus, she's going to go to hell and just think of the lost opportunity. I'm not afraid. I believe in the effectual calling of call him God. I believe that God has put his side on that girl. She's going to come to Jesus. I just do my part. Every time I get a chance, I give her a little bit more. I gave her a gospel tract. This kind of explains the whole thing, you know. And so it, it took a long time. She came to church one time, brought her husband, came to hear me preach. Boy, that was something. They, they didn't know any better. They sat on the front row. That way you can hear the gospel and get baptized at the same time, right? So it's, it's God's glory, though. It's, it's what he's doing. And we have to bring the sinner to the place where they recognize this is all God. This is not me. This is God. I remember an old gospel, southern gospel song. And you know, as they do sometimes, they want to have a tear-jerking moment in the middle of them and Talk about their mama and stuff and this one song the guy said I thank God one day I was smart enough to invite, invite Jesus into my life no no you weren't no you weren't you never were smart enough no see it's much better in our testimony to instead of saying you know uh, I you know I trusted Jesus and I prayed to receive Jesus one day and I'm you know uh, which that's, there's truth to that. But it's much better to say this. I was in a place where I was so sinful. I cared nothing about God. I didn't want him. I didn't want Christ. Had no desire for it. You know what I wanted? Sin. But God started doing something in my heart. I don't know why. I can't even put my finger on the exact moment when he started Stirring. But he did. And thankfully he gave me faith. To believe upon Jesus and be saved. Do you hear that? What credit do I get? Zero. What credit does God get? All. It's to the praise of his glory. Salvation is for God's glory. Well the preciousness of grace. It's the richness of God. It's the riches of heaven. It's grace. God's unearned kindness towards sinners. Now then, what's the purpose of grace? Why is God doing this? Well, verse 10 of chapter 2 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The purpose of grace, it's to create new creatures in Christ. For we are his workmanship, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, look at this. Look at the wording. We are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? Our workmanship? No, his workmanship. Created. Not we created, but that's the passive. We have been created in Christ Jesus. Now, there's obviously a parallel here to Genesis chapter 1 where we have the physical creation of humanity, but this is the new creation of humanity. And again, to have any claim to have participated in the new creation that we have become in Christ actually proves that you don't have it and don't understand it. We can no more participate in the creation to be new creatures than we could have seen that which had not been created to participate in the creation at the beginning of the world. If you'll notice in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, everything (coughs) is created. It's a passive thing. Nothing creates itself. Nothing participates with God. God spoke, and it was done. God said it, it was created. It's all of God and His Word. It's never of the created thing having somehow created itself. Humanity's really good about talking about recreating itself, isn't it? We're always talking about that. We're gonna recreate our world, we're gonna do all this stuff, we're gonna recreate energy, we're gonna recreate all of this stuff, and so it's all the self-help of all the resources of humanity and all that we can do. Now don't get me wrong, people are amazing little creatures. Lots of things that we can do. That's pretty awesome. Thank you, Brother Mark. So all that we can do. But listen, we can we can no more we can no more participate in the recreation of ourselves, the new creation in Christ, than than the the elements of creation could have participated in helping God create themselves. It's a logical impossibility. How can something dead participate in giving itself life? It just doesn't make any sense. You say, well, I, I just don't like this feeling. Well... There's probably a rock song about that, but too bad. Well, I don't like the feeling of helplessness. It's exactly where God wants you. Well, I don't like feeling like I can't do it. That's where God wants you. You see, we're like a bunch of hogs. We just eat the acorns and we never look up to see where they came from. And at some point, I tried to say that as country as I could. I know I failed. Let me try it again. We're like a bunch of hogs. We never look up and see where the acorns come from. How'd I do? That's better, right? Anybody here, is Brother Herbie here from Kentucky? Amen. Give me an amen, brother. So that's just the way way we are. And so what has to happen is we have to come to that place where we feel helpless, feel hopeless. I can't do it. We finally look up to God and say, Lord, if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. It's your way or nothing. I've tried every other way. There's no other way. So to create new creatures. Now listen, salvation is not just, again, getting us out of hell, but it is to change us. Some people treat salvation like it's an event in the past with no consequences in the present or future. Or something happened in the past and maybe consequences in the future, but the present, well, I'm on my own. That's not salvation. He has made us His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do this. What? What? For good works. This is God's work. Now, to cause new conduct through Christ is the other purpose of grace. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The the word walk there means a lifestyle. So we should live a lifestyle of good works. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. Sadly and wrongly, we as humans want to create our own list of what we have determined as good works. And we tell ourselves, this is for God's glory, even though no one else would possibly recognize it as such. But we convince ourselves, so that we feel good about ourselves, that we're doing good works. But let me enlighten you on this if you're willing to receive it. Good works are those which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What that tells us is that God gets to decide what a good work is. God is the one who decides. The kind of works that God approves of, those kind of good works are an utter impossibility before we are made alive by Christ. There are works that people do that it it doesn't matter if they're a Buddhist or a Christian. It's the same good work. Listen, if I have to have knee replacement, I don't care if the doctor's a Christian. I want to know, can he or she do the job? And so I, I'm not worried about that part. That, that's not the issue. If garbage needs to be picked up down to the park, I don't care if the Muslims do it or the Christian. I don't care. Clean it up. Somebody needs to thin out that duck population down there. But, but I, I don't care. It, does, it doesn't matter. So, but we, we try to tell ourselves, see, we're doing good works. Look at us, doing good works in the community. Aren't we so cool? And so we try to tell ourselves that stuff. And no one ever stops to ask are these the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? What is it that we could do that would be uniquely Christ-exalting so that it would be undeniable that God has done it in us? That's the mindset that you have to have. What could we do Do you know what's a good work? Plant a new church. That's a good work. Do you know what's a good work? Tell somebody the gospel. That's a good work. Do you know what's a good work? Pray a biblical-centered, God-glorifying prayer for someone in need. That's a good work. Invite someone to church. That's a good work. See, those are good. Now you say, well, there there are other things. But listen, listen. Lost people do those things too. It's not that we should withdraw from that as Christians. Just don't think for a moment that those are the kinds of things that really attract people to the gospel. They don't see the difference. They they can't tell the difference. There's no difference because all kinds of people do some of those things. So don't join the community crowd thinking, Oh, as a church, we've got to do that because we want people to think we're doing good works. No, they're just baiting you up. What we have to figure out in our own lives and as a church family we have to figure out what is the good work that we can do that the community say well, we'd never do that. We wouldn't we, there ain't no way we'd do that kind of thing. Why are y'all doing that? Because of Christ in us. That's a good work. So it has to be God glorifying in some way. I was a missionary in Africa and we were spending thousands, thousands, thousands of dollars Drilling wells for people living out in the harsh climate where not much water, and my son one time said to me, "Dad, why don't you just tell them to move?" Um, I'm like, "Well, from a five year old, that was pretty good wisdom. Like, where would they go is a different matter. But you know, I think he thought they'd come to our house. You know, I don't know. But um, but you know, it's a good work. But you know, the, the Muslims would do the same thing. We could tell ourselves as Christians, "Oh, it's a good work. It's going to point them to Jesus," and never did. You now, if we just think to ourselves, out of compassion, we can. Let's go do this for these people. It's okay. It's not nothing wrong with that. And, you know, if you're going to take that opportunity to say, hey, by the way, look, can we tell you about the Bible? It's okay. That's a good thing. You know, we did one village. We didn't drill no well. We didn't bring any chickens. We didn't bring goats. Nothing. I just went to the chief and said, listen, man, we've got some news from God for your people, and we want to tell them. And my thought was, and if you try to stop me, man, you're going to have problems. But was just Curtis, We went to every, every hut in that village. Took us all day, about like three days, but every hut in that village told them the gospel. That's a good work. That's a good work. Lost people are not going to do that. That's a good work. So God has ordained these things. Look at the life of Jesus. You say, well, he did miracles. But why? Why? Because then he piggybacked on that and said, now this is the meaning of that miracle, that I am the son of God. Well, that's going to be hard for us to do. That's why you don't have a lot of miracles a day in that way because it it points people back to you, the one that the miracle's done through rather than to Christ. So there's not a lot of that going on. But how do we point people to Christ? We tell them His glorious gospel. That's how you point them to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. It'll change families. It'll change companies. It'll change communities if they get the gospel. That's the good work that we can do that no one else can do. What should we do with all of this stuff? So we have God's grace. He's provided before us, provided grace. And salvation is totally by grace. And it's a precious thing. It's a gift of God. And the purpose of it is to create people, recreate people, to transform them, to make them something that they're not. Anybody could look at my life and they can find all the things that I am not quite there yet. There are plenty of them. I don't deny those things. Absolutely. I'm not proud of it, but... At the same time, I know that Christ is working in me. It's God who works in me. I know that's true. He's changing me. He's made me a new creation. Now he's he's gearing that up so that I can actually handle the new creation that's coming. So I know what he's doing. But what should we do about this as Christians? Here's what I would say to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Number one, don't be afraid. To let God show you the depth of your sinfulness, even as a Christian. Don't be afraid to let God show you how easily your heart runs to sin. Get a a good, realistic view of yourself. And don't be afraid to let God show you that. We read the Psalms about David and David would lament over his sinfulness. And so don't don't be afraid to let God show you that. Because what happens is that as you journey through that moment of thinking about how twisted you are, how easily you sin, how how much sinfulness there still is in your heart, how much wickedness still lurks in your life, then you see the grace of God. And it reminds you just how wonderful God is to bring somebody like me to himself as his own child. That creates thankfulness. It creates worship. I reject being tickled to worship by aesthetics and sounds. The scripture must move you to worship. The scripture moves you to worship. Then we have the props, don't we? We have music, we have songs, we have all kinds of things that are right there at our disposal that help us express that. But don't ever skip the first step or you never really will connect with God in that way. So as Christians learn to lament that and to to realize this is the depth of my sinfulness, you know what it'll also do? It'll not, not only give you a greater appreciation for the grace of God, but it'll also cause you to be more gracious toward other Christians. We fail each other a lot, do we not? Sometimes I want to come in here and say, welcome fellow failures. And we fail each other so much. and We fail God often, I mean daily, and we fail each other on a regular basis. We really do. Give each other grace because there are those times when God's at work in us and we allow him. That the shining love of the church is evident. And when it comes to the surface, it's a glorious thing. It's Christ working in us. And so we live for those moments. We wish they were more often, don't we? We wish we could stay there continually. But we live for those moments and we see God working in His people. And so learn to grab hold of that and embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. But don't stay there. Also look up to the grace of God and glorify Him. Now... What if you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus yet? Let me just say this to you very, very plainly. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. If you're rejecting the Son of God as Lord and Savior, you are under condemnation. There is not this thing of, well, maybe you're going to get out. No, you're already condemned. The sentence has already been passed on you. you don't have in your mind, oh, I'll get to heaven and see what happens. No, it's already a done deal. You're already condemned. But. If you would turn to Christ today. Turning away from Christless living. Turn and trust what he did for you on the cross. In your place. Give your full confidence to Jesus. Start following him. That's faith. And that simple decision of faith. Is the avenue through which the gracious salvation of Christ. Will come into your life. That's what it requires. We we'll say, well, first I got it. No, you first do nothing. You first and foremost and only believe on Jesus. You, you, well, I got to clean. No, you don't clean up anything. You come to Christ. Well, I need. No, you don't need. to Well, I try. No, stop trying. Well, I do need to come to church more. No, you came to church today. You need to come to Jesus now. This is not about all those other things. It's not about what you can do. Don't you understand it's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has done for you. You've got to put your confidence in that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace the reality and fact that it is all by grace through faith in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.